Um, but today we're going to be uh, talking about baptism. If you see, uh, we're going to be looking at a story from Acts 8 today. And our baptism service is two weeks from today. But I wanted to take a moment just to talk about baptism, what it means. Because I know we have a lot of people who are here from a variety of faith backgrounds, people who have uh, been new to our congregation in the last year or two. Uh, but just biblically what it means and why we celebrate it. And as we're going to be talking about today, that there's great joy in baptism. as something that, that God has commanded us to do. But when you do it with that willing uh, uh, obedience, that, that there's a joy that, that fills you in that, which is true of every part of our, our lives. But a little bit before we get into our um, Bible text for today in, in Acts 8, you know, I'll encourage you to start opening up there now. But a little bit of what we believe about baptism at Maple Plain uh, Community Church. Uh, you know, something we just kind of do a lot of times, we don't think about the significance of it and what it really means. But this is straight out of our statement of faith as a community, uh, what we believe about baptism. And this is talking about the two ordinances of Jesus. Uh, it says, Jesus commanded the ordinance of water baptism and communion to be observed by the church. And we believe immersion to be the mode of baptism to be followed. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Jesus commanded the ordinance of water baptism and communion to be observed by the church, and we believe immersion to be the mode of baptism followed. So we're actually going to talk about baptism today, one of the ordinances, and we're going to celebrate communion, which is the other ordinance. And by ordinance, we mean things that God has ordained or has command, commanded the church to do. But when you read that statement, what we understand biblically is that baptism is something for professing believers. It's people who have made a choice or a decision. They have a professing faith in Jesus. And so that would denote a, potentially a certain age of which you could be baptized. And we don't have that age in mind. We think it's different for every person. Uh, but that means that we don't do infant baptism at this church. We do infant dedica- dedication. Uh, which we just have the parents basically say we, we uh, intend to raise this child in the Lord and we appreciate any encouragement and prayers along the way. But at, at some point when somebody comes to a, a knowledgeable saving faith in Jesus, that is when they become eligible for baptism. So if you're thinking about an age requirement, there is none. Uh, it just depends on, on, on you and your position that you're in. It's also to be done through immersion, which means being lowered beneath water and, and raised above water, which would disqualify infants uh, once again. Uh, but this is something that we are not incredibly legalistic about. Uh, we don't have like an overhead cam over our baptistry and to make sure every part is submerged and there's no uh, hair strand above or anything. But, but immersion is something that we're going to talk about later that, that gives kind of a public testimony uh, of what Jesus has done in your life. Uh, and finally, the most important thing is with baptism is we do not believe this to be sacramental. Uh, we do not believe this to be a means of grace. Or in other words, it's, baptism doesn't bring you to heaven. It doesn't save you. A baptism doesn't make you a better Christian or a better person. It doesn't fill you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but it is that public testimony. It is, it is an act that you choose in order to demonstrate the faith that is already alive in you. And so we, we have so, maybe some, some differences between uh, faith practices and denominations that can cause some friction. So I'll just leave with this before we get into our message today. That if you're one that's been uh, baptized as an infant, or if you're one who have, have baptized your infants, we do not believe this to be evil. Uh, we do not believe this to be bad. 
uh, we just don't believe this to be the, the full um, uh, step of faith that God has asked us to do. And we can reasonably get along if you believe that. Uh, the, the problem is if you believe infant baptism to be something that brings them into heaven or, or becomes a means of grace. And that's where I think where we're going to differ a little bit. But it's something we can all get along uh, on throughout the day here. Uh, but the other, the other important thing, again, is even as adults, that you have to believe that baptism is not a salvific act. It's not something that will, will save you and, and bring you to heaven. But it is a joyful moment when you walk in obedience. And that's going to bring us to the, the story, the, the biblical account we're going to be reading today in Acts 8. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, which we don't know much about either of these characters. In this case, the Ethiopian is, is, is spoken about only here in these verses. We're actually going to read all of it, but focus on just the last part of it, verses 26 through 40. And Philip himself, we don't know much about, but this is one of his major stories in the Bible as well. But as we read through this, we kind of see a progression here, and this goes as a higher principle to all of the faith, is that, that a seeking heart is the one that comes to faith. Right? When you're seeking the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, you will find him. You will, more accurately, he will find you. But seeking heart leads to faith, and then that genuine faith leads to diligent obedience, and diligent obedience leads to profound joy. And that's not true only in baptism. That's true in every part of our lives. So I'm going to pray for us before we uh, read this story and dive into a little bit deeper. But join your hearts uh, with me as we pray and commit this time to the Lord. So Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for, uh, for all that you've done in our lives. And as we take time later in the service to really reflect on what matters most and what really did truly save us, it was what you did on the cross for us through your son Jesus, that he paid the price for our sins, that he's done everything necessary for our salvation. All we must do is, is simply just have faith in him, acknowledgement that you have done everything uh, for us and, and simply put our trust and our obedience in, in, in you from hereafter as, as Lord of our lives. And so we thank you for that. But then we thank you also for the other command you've given us, which is to be baptized, which is, is to have this expression of our faith and this public testimony of all you've done for us. And so, God, today I pray as we read this story that uh, you would just touch each of us where we're at right now. Some of us were baptized uh, many years ago, and, and we can just relive the joy of that. Other of us, of us haven't and are wrestling with that. God, I, I pray that this wouldn't be a time of guilt, that this wouldn't be a time of shame, but this would be a time for you to speak to us uh, genuinely uh, where we're at in, in our own hearts. So for every person, I just pray your Holy Spirit would, would touch them and reach them, but that we could be a, a people that walk together in obedience and in joy uh, and you from here on out. So I just pray you bless this time and speak to each person right where they're at. And we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm not going to have these words up on the screen today because there's so many verses, uh, but the verses we're going to key in on, I'll, I'll do that later. So I do encourage you to open up those, open up your Bibles now in Acts 8, starting in verse 26, or your phones, or the Pew Bibles, whatever it is, just to read along here. But here we're going to read in uh, Acts 8, verse 26, on through the rest of the story. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, 
an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot and reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip up, Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. That's a big story, and there's a lot to unpack there, and unfortunately, we won't have time to go through all of that. And, and admittedly, this really isn't a story about baptism. It has baptism at the end of the story. This is really a story about obedience and, and sharing the good news of Jesus. But the first point we see out of this is we kind of recap the whole first part of this message, is that a seeking heart is what leads to faith. And, and this really isn't as much about a man seeking God as it is a, a, a God seeking a man. But there's this Ethiopian eunuch who had been traveling to Jerusalem and, and, and seeking God with all of his heart and, and diligently studying the scriptures. And God sent Philip to come and share the good news with him. And so we have these two main characters, Philip and the eunuch, that I just want to take a moment to, to talk about. And, and Philip... You know, the question when it's, when it's about Philip is, which Philip is this? Because in the New Testament especially, there's, there's two main Philips. There's Philip the disciple or the apostle, and then there's Philip the evangelist or Philip the deacon, who is introduced in Acts 6, who became one of the seven who are trusted uh, with these uh, tasks to help the early apostles. And, and this probably, in almost all certainty, is Philip the evangelist, Philip the deacon, who we see in Acts 6, 7, 8, and then we don't hear from him again until about 20 years later uh, when he's still in Caesarea in Acts 21. But I think the point here is that it doesn't matter who it is, because that's not about this man. It's about God steering and commanding people to do things, and all we need is just a shred of obedience. 
right? And so he, he steers him all the way down south to this Ethiopian eunuch who's coming back from Jerusalem after he uh, worshipped there. And just a bit about eunuchs in this culture. Uh, we often think of a, a eunuch, someone who is maybe downtrodden and marginalized and, and not accepted. Uh, but in his own home country, he was a man of prominence, of power. He was high class, high influence, high affluence. Uh, and, and, and eunuchs in this time, don't let any modern, uh, trans, uh, modern interpretations confuse you. This is not some expression of his gender identity. Okay, That's not what this was at all. Eunuchs were people who about half the time were castrated against their will, and the other half time they chose to. And if they chose to, it's because they were going into a high-ranking position that would require it. And to speak about this softly, I guess, the reason why they became eunuchs is because they didn't want the royal bloodline to be threatened, if you catch my drift. Okay, so if they're in the royal courts and they're around the queen or the king's harem, they didn't want to be a threat. And so servants who came into that role were maybe done, it was done so against their will. But this guy probably was one who was entrusted, who wanted this role, and he became a eunuch as a sign of his patronage to the king. That he was making it clear that he was not going to be a threat to the king in any sense. And he was in a high-ranking position in charge of all of the finances of the queen. So culturally speaking, this guy is, is the guy who kind of had it made in the shade. Right? He had a retirement fund. He, he had the social influence and the affluence that he needed. But yet he was still seeking more. And this is a, a guy who was a, a Jewish, a non-Jewish believer culturally, right? He came from a pagan country. And he's able to go to the temple to worship. But because he was a Gentile and because he was a eunuch, he would not have been allowed in. He was kind of a guy on the fringes in the temple. And now he's still seeking God and reading the book of Isaiah, particularly Isaiah 53. And here is now Philip coming to talk to him. So we have this man seeking with his whole heart God. And Philip, who was appointed by the angel to go south and travel the road somewhere, so he, he, he uh, accepted that call from the angel, went down, and then he was told by the Holy Spirit, there's the chariot. Go run after that chariot. And as he gets there, he's reading Isaiah 53. Now, now Philip still has to, under his own power and effort, ask the question, kind of, hey, what you reading? You know, it's like, do you understand what it is that you're reading here? And this is the amazing response from the eunuch, where he said, how can I? And then someone explains it to me, and so he invited Philip to come up and, and sit with him right, right next to him on this royal chariot. This is amazing moment that we, we see God kind of moving all the pieces together and all we needed was some obedience for this to happen. And he started with that very passage of scripture in Isaiah 53 and began to tell them the good news about Jesus. Shares the whole gospel with him and this eunuch gives his life to Christ. Now I'm, I'm trying to think of a modern parallel of this in our lives because we don't have royal chariots and, and roads and things like that, but but many of us have flown in a plane before, right? And, and you, you order your ticket ahead of time, but you don't know who you're going to sit next to if you're flying by yourself. So imagine that you're in a plane, and the person next to you is, is reading through their Bible, and you, and you kind of glance over, and you see that they're in John 3, 
You see their finger going along verse by verse, and you see them getting down to John 3, 16, okay, and every Christian's like, okay, I know that one, uh, and they're getting there, and they kind of read it, and you, and you just turn to them and say, isn't that an amazing verse? And they, they look back at you and say, I don't get it. Like, who is this son I'm supposed to believe in for eternal life? Now, if you're a Christian, your heart's like leaping with joy. It's like, I know that answer. You don't need a seminary degree, and you don't need months of discipleship or evangelism training. You know who the son is. And they're just asking, like, I, somebody needs to tell me who the son is. And all you have to do is just explain the good news of Jesus. Everything is primed and ready. You just have to take advantage of that. And here we see the seeking heart of this eunuch, the seeking heart of Philip. And God moving all the pieces together, and it leads to this profound and life-changing faith and this Ethiopian. This kind of builds up what we talked about last week. There's this great joy in that. And Jeff Anderson had a great uh, sermon as we closed our missions conference. And, and, and really it was this idea that, that if you are a believer, you are a sent person. And that God has work for you to do. And, and he's going to move the pieces and bring things together. All you have to do is just simply walk in obedience. Right? And just take the, the opportunities that are there for you. And, and if you know God, but you know someone who doesn't know God, there's your opportunity. There's your mission field. It's almost 100% guarantee that someone you know is seeking God. And maybe all they need is, is just to invite you to come sit along next with them. And, and maybe you ask questions and they ask you questions. And you might be the person that leads them into faith. God has these opportunities all around us, and all you need to do is just walk in obedience to that. But here we see that the story progresses, and, and, and this eunuch has now come to faith in Jesus. And we see that this genuine faith leads to obedience, right? It's not obedience that makes you faithful. It's, it's faith that makes you obedient. And so... As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Now, one thing you have to understand with with baptism in the early church especially is that it was something that was kind of seen as an automatic thing. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, then baptism was naturally the next step, and there wasn't classes, there, there wasn't like steps you had to go through, it was just this, this automatic expected thing, because it was a command of God. You know, when Jesus gave his, his marching orders before he ascended to heaven, we, we know the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's to go, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them everything I have commanded you. And it's impossible to obey the Great Commission and then neglect the baptism portion of that. But, but over the years and, and, and the centuries, we've we made it more complicated, I think, than what it needs to be. But all through Acts, you see in the, in the chapters following this, in, in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius comes to faith, and, and he's asking Peter these questions. He's supposed to go find Peter. It's, again, a man seeking God. And, and the Holy Spirit tells him, go find Peter. And Peter comes and, and he explains everything about Jesus. 
And the next thing said um, by Peter, after all who were hearing this began praising God, said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he had all of them baptized. In Acts 16, when Lydia uh, comes to faith after talking with the Apostle Paul, the first thing she did is she went home, shared it with her family, and they're all baptized. When Paul and Silas were in jail in, in Philippi, and, and the jailer who uh, was responsible for them came to faith, the first thing he did is he went home and told his family, and it says they were all baptized. It's, it's like this, this instant thing that they did as they walked in obedience. And, and for some reason, we tend to kind of ho-hum scrutinize, overthink it, when it was intended to, to happen naturally. And so we assume then that, that baptism was explained on this, on this chariot ride of, of what God had kind of expected. And here the eunuch is just like, well, there's water, so why not now? What, what's standing in our way? And here in this verse, we kind of see three components of obedience. And the first is, is capacity or capability, right? They didn't have to travel 100 miles out of the way to find water. The capacity was there. And then opportunity, there's, there's nothing standing in the way. It's in a schedule. They're not going to have to plan this a week out, right? It's, it's right there. And then the last part of it is effort. And that's where he said he, he commanded the chariots to stop. And they walked the 100 feet or so down to the river. And what I've noticed is, is that what keeps us from obedience most of the time is effort. Right? We're, we're given the capacity or the capability. We're given the opportunities. Typically for obedience, all we need is just often just a shred of effort. Just, just to do that little bit, just to take that little step. And we don't. But here, it's, it's not a selective obedience from this eunuch. He understands what God has commanded. And so he does it. What's, what's standing in my way? What's stopping us from doing it right now? And so the chariot stopped, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, some of you might be asking, why am I skipping verse 37? Okay, so some of you with older... Uh, translations are going to see a verse 37 there. Uh, this is a, a verse that, that isn't found in the earliest manuscripts. And so uh, when these old translations were made, there was, there was a verse that was in there. This probably came sometime in the 1500s, they assume, from the scholar Erasmus, a, a verse that says, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So there's some question of, what was this written by Luke's, Luke originally? But whether it was or wasn't, it's absolutely a biblical idea. And it's this idea of, if you believe in Jesus, what's there to stop you? And that's that automatic thing when it comes to obedience, particularly in baptism. If you have faith, then there's nothing else you need to do. And, and that's a question I, I kind of hear often when I talk with people about baptism. It's like, the question they keep asking myself is, I don't know if I'm ready. And so the question I ask is like, do you believe in Jesus as the Son of God? And they say, yes. And I say, so you're ready. We don't, we don't have to make it more complicated than that. All that's required for baptism is faith. If you have faith in Jesus then you're ready 
to be baptized. And I, th- I think we just make it more complicated than that at times. But here the eunuch probably had a hundred excuses he could have made at this point. You know, I have to really run behind on the schedule here. We've got to keep a, a swift pace or that water looks kind of nasty. Uh, I assume they're probably going by the Jordan at this point and, and the Jordan is nasty now, at least. Um, I've still baptized people in it and I've been baptized in it myself. Uh, there's, there's many things you could have done. I don't have a change of clothes, you know, but, but I have faith in Jesus. There's water. There's the capacity. Here's the opportunity. Now all that's required is my effort to walk in obedience in him. And when you walk in diligent obedience, again, this is not selective obedience, because I think we're really good at that. We follow the things we want to follow. But selective obedience is also selective rebellion. But when you walk in diligent obedience and you make the effort that's needed to follow all that God has called you to do, it leads to joy. It leads to joy. And that's how we close this story today. Is that when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. I say again, baptism is not something, it's it's not a magical or a mystical thing that that fills you with any more Holy Spirit or makes you into a better Christian. But because he walked in this obedience and he made this public proclamation of his faith, he went on his way rejoicing. And, and, And obedience in and of itself is something that will always bring the Christian to joy. As you look at it as a higher principle, in every part of your life, if you are doing what God has called you to do, or if you are not doing what God has called you to abstain from, there will be joy in your life. There's joy in obedience. And the truth is, God doesn't drag you kicking and screaming through the Christian life, forcing you to do things. But he makes his will known. He makes his commandments known. And when you follow them diligently and willingly, you'll be accompanied with a sense of joy. And the word here is, is also uh, interpret, or is also uh, known as, as overjoyed. That he went on his way overjoyed, which means being overfilled with joy. And Psalm one nineteen, the NLT says it very well. <clears throat> psalm one nineteen is the longest psalm in, in all of the psalms, and it starts with these two uh, verses: "Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord." Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for them with their whole hearts. In other words, joyful are the people who do the things God asks them to do. And I, I think if you're lacking joy in your life, there's, there's a chance you're also lacking obedience at some level. But here we see this eunuch taking this command of God seriously. He's got the capacity, he's got the opportunity, and then he makes the effort, and he comes out of this rejoicing. And I guarantee you this was a testimony to all the people who saw it. Now, he would not have been traveling alone as a royal dignitary. He would have had servants, he would have had guards, he would have people traveling the road around who didn't know who he was. But they would have seen this happen, they would have seen him filled with joy, and they would have said, surely that's not just from him. Something amazing is happening here. 
And it's this testimony of his faith that probably reached the people around him. But that joy is only possible through obedience. And that's why at, at our church, we do not require baptism for attenders. We do not require baptism for members. We do not require baptism for leaders. Because if, if we required it, <clears throat> it would simply be uh, you being obedient to men. But we, we want people to walk in obedience in their own time in their own way so you can experience the full joy. There is no joy in dogmatic or reluctant obedience. When you do so willingly, then you experience the joy that only God can give. See, baptism is is this expression that shows that it's, it's no longer the old you. You're not following the old ways and the old desires. You are a new person fixed on on loving God and his commands and in obedience and in full faith in all that he's done. And even the act of of baptism itself, being immersed, is is showing that when you are lowered beneath the water, that you have died to yourself, you have died to sin. And then you've been raised into new life with Christ, and and you are now filled with the Holy Spirit because of your faith in him. The person you are now when you're raised out is different than the man or the woman that you used to be. And just as he was dripping with water, he was also dripping and saturated with joy because of the reality that's being expressed in this moment. But it all starts with obedience, being obedient to what God has called you to do. And we're good at making excuses, right? I'm good at making excuses, maybe better than most. But it started with obedience of the Ethiopian. And before that, it started with the, the obedience of Philip. Now, if, if the Ethiopian had a hundred excuses to not be baptized, Philip had a thousand to not follow that road and share the gospel. Because if you read up in this, this chapter, it talks about widespread perse- persecution happening where, where this man named Saul, who in Acts 9 changes forever, was seeking out Christians and trying to destroy the church and, and, and his friend had just been stoned, Stephen. And he's ripped this man named Saul's ripping families apart, and now this angel is saying, Go south and share the gospel with someone. Now if it were me, I'd probably be like, eh, no. I'm afraid. He had all these abilities to make excuses in the moment, but he didn't. He was obedient, and we have this amazing story of joy to follow. Now, now we all have these opportunities to be obedient in many parts of life, and, and one of the goals we've had as a church this year is to reach 200 people with the gospel. And, and it's been fun hearing these stories from you all. I, I don't think anyone else in the church has heard more stories than, than me, because uh, I'm the one tracking it. Uh, but what's consistent through all of this is there's always a sense of joy when people share with me. And, I, and I've talked to people who have been Christians for, for decades, and, they, and they'll, they'll start with, I'm almost ashamed to say I've never shared the gospel with anyone before. But I had the opportunity, and, and I did it, and it was amazing. And there's a sense of joy that you see in them. And, and they, they talk about the situation, and they say, and I can't wait to do it again. 
And so, so we've been going through this for a year and, and setting this. In, and as of this morning, uh, there's 155 people who have heard the gospel from you guys this year. That's amazing. And the reality is probably more than that. Okay, but this is what we know about. And it's something we can celebrate. And, and we can all say, how am I going to be obedient to what God is leading me to do? And how are we going to reach 45 more people before the end of the year? There's a, there's a good chance you're, you're going to have one of those people available to you. That you just have to walk forward with effort to do what God is calling you to do. But this isn't to meet some arbitrary goal or to pat ourselves on the back. This is just simply to live in, in the way that God has called us to live. And I encourage you to do that because when you walk in obedience like Philip did, you're going to come away from that overjoyed. And so I just encourage you, share the story, share the joy. If you've shared the gospel with something, just go to our website slash reach 200 and fill that out. Talk to me personally. I know a lot of people have, have talked about this. And, and to be clear, this is 200 total people hearing the gospel. So if you shared with more than one, go ahead and, and submit that. We want It's a time to really celebrate this and, and be in joy. But, but if you want to have joy in your life, and walk in diligent obedience to God and do what he's called you to do. And today we're talking particularly about baptism because I do think that's an area that we often don't walk in obedience. And I think we're robbed of that joy. And to be clear, and we're going to close this as we go into to communion, to be clear, Satan wants to rob you of joy. Satan wants to, to, to distract you from obedience and submission to God. And there's many ways he's going to do that. It might be an area of pride, right? Where if you know you've been doing something or you haven't been doing something and it's in conflict of what God wants you to do, God, Satan's going to want you to feel pride in that moment to say, I'm not going to change because if I do, that would admit that I was wrong. And I, I can't be wrong. That's one of the main ways that, that Satan will rob you of that or, or fear or worry, or it might be doubt in God or doubt in yourself, lack of compassion, lack of conviction. There's many ways that Satan is going to want to keep you from being fully submissive and obedient to God because rebellion is at his core. But when you walk in that obedience and you do what God asks you to do, you're going to experience that joy. And I'll tell you, there's never been a moment in my life that I have said, I wish I hadn't been obedient to God. There's never been a moment. I've never heard anyone say that either. He commands things for a reason. With baptism, I think it's something we need to really pray about and think about. If you are a believer in Christ and you haven't been baptized, pray about that. Because it's not that you're out anything in heaven. It's not that you're out anything uh, in your spiritual walk. But I think you are being robbed of some joy. And let me just give you, let me close with my own baptism story. So I, I grew up in a faith tradition where infant baptism was practiced, and so I was baptized in a, as an infant. And, and I had a lot of pride and a lot of hope in that for much of my life, as that's what made me a Christian, as my parents, without me knowing, had water sprinkled on my head, and, and so now I'm going to heaven. But I came to faith late in my teenage years. And I was involved in, in a youth group that, that taught baptism like we would teach baptism. And I was even a leader in this youth group. I was, I was growing and budding in my faith. And the, and the youth pastor asked me about baptism. There's an opportunity coming. It's going on a mission trip to Lima, Peru. And he said, you, you have the opportunity to be baptized with your friends in the ocean. 
and, and have this wonderful experience? And my first thought was no. I had, a, I had a position of pride. Because if I do that, I'm saying that my first baptism was not good enough or not worth anything. And so I was very resistant to it, but I prayed about it more. I was like, but this is, this is a moment we could do. While I was down there, I had every excuse in my mind. You know, we went down in the summer, which in Lima is the winter. And so it was cold and windy and gusty in the ocean. And there's strangers around that I was worried about what they'd think of me. And every part of me was resistant to this idea. But finally, I had the capacity. I had the opportunity. I just needed to make the effort. And so I did it. And when I came up out of the water, I was overjoyed. And all of my friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord were cheering for me. And the, and the strangers that I was worried about on the beach came in and were cheering for me too. I don't know who they were. But it was this moment of joy as I walked into obedience. And that's what happens here every time we have a baptism service. As people make that step, they come out of the water as a public profession of the faith. And we encourage one another. And we applaud one another. And there's a sense of collective joy that's just hard to explain. But it's something I want you to pray about. If you're kind of making all the uh, excuses in your mind and you're not sure, maybe it's something you need to talk about more with me or another pastor here, please do that and consider it. But when you walk in obedience with God, there's great joy. Now next week, I'm going to talk about what the baptism service actually looks like. If you're interested in it, uh, what that means here. And just to be clear up front, you don't have to give a public speech, okay? Because I know some people fear drowning. Uh, some people fear death. Uh, more people fear public speaking, okay? So we don't require a speech of any kind if that's what's holding you back. But do talk to me, talk to us definitely, or next week we're going to talk more about what that means. But we're going to close the service uh, quickly with, with another ordinance of God, and that is communion. And I think it's important that we end with this today because I think a lot of people operate with the wrong ideas of baptism. And, and we, put, we make it into something that it isn't. And we, we say baptism is the thing that saves us from our sin. That is the wrong idea of baptism. And, and many times when I evangelize with people or share the gospel, particularly people I don't know, uh, one common response I get is, I'm good. I was baptized as a baby. Okay. That's not what baptism is. That's not what saves you. It's only through faith in what Jesus has done that saves you. And that's what communion is, is a time for us ordained as we gather to reflect and remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And it's only faith in that that's going to save you. And this is a time that we just remember that. We reflect on that and we say, thank you, God. We love you, God, but we remember you loved us first and you did this for us. And that reminds me of one of my favorite uh, verses, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, that this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that's what this time is, is, is to reflect and remember all he did for us on the cross. But before we do that, we take a time to really reflect and, 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 and center our hearts. It's a time of, of self-reflection, uh, and, and we're going to do that now. Uh, if you are new here today, I do want to say first that communion here is something that's available for all believers. 
Okay, so if you're a guest here today, you're welcome to participate with us. Anyone who professes faith in Jesus, that the blood, uh, the bread and the, the uh, cup are, are symbolic of his body and his blood for us. And that this is a time that, that we truly reflect and, and remember together. So that's where we're going to take that moment of silence. I encourage you to just use this time between you and the Lord for a time of confession, a time of thanksgiving. Maybe if there's something you're struggling with in your life, ask him for help. Uh, but just take this time between you and the Lord, no matter how you choose. And so God, in this time, uh, when we just take this moment individually as, as your people, your children, just expressing our hearts to you and, and reflecting on all you've done, God, I, I just pray for all of us that we'd, we'd truly grasp uh, just how wide and how long and how high and, and how deep uh, your love is for us, that you did this for us out of, out of your love and your compassion for all people. So, God, may you just grow in our hearts the capacity to love you back with our lives, that we would love you with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. And, uh, God, we just thank you for, for all you've done. we got to pray for any of us who have confessed our sin to you. And, God, we are in need of your forgiveness and we can just rest that you are faithful that you are just to forgive us of all sin and, and cleanse us from all uh, iniquities and impureness and so god we just we thank you for that that you are a gracious god but i just pray as we celebrate this communion as you have commanded us to do that that you would fill our hearts with joy and with gratitude for all you've done so we just ask that you bless this time and we pray this now in your name jesus amen